Hey, Close Monday listeners, you can find us every Wednesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Hands down, the most embarrassing mistake I made as a restaurant owner was hiring the wrong accountant and trusting that he was doing the right thing. Now, the main thing that he was in charge of was sales tax. And long story short, didn't get paid, didn't get paid on time, didn't get paid in full. And our little 40-seat restaurant wound up owing the state of New York $180,000 in sales tax. But that was before Davo. Davo automates your sales tax. It integrates with your POS, so it automatically sets aside the sales tax funds daily. Then, when it comes time to remit these funds to the state, Davo files and pays the sales tax for you on time and in full. You know, it's easier. Take a little bit out every day as opposed to this big chunk due at the end of the month or at the end of the quarter. It would have changed my business, would have changed really my life. Because let's face it, when you're running a restaurant, those bills that are due, they keep you awake at night. Not with Davo. It's all taken care of. So it integrates with your POS. So whether you have Toast, Square, Clover, Lightspeed, uh, SkyTab, whatever you have, Revel, they integrate with them and they're adding new partners every day. So you never have to worry about sales tax again. In the show notes, there's a link where you can schedule a call with the customer success team. Let them know that you heard about Davo on the Close Monday podcast and they'll hook you up. Never worry about sales tax ever again. Keep your eye on what matters, which is running your business day in, day out, and let Davo take care of the sales tax. Man, we are off to a bumpy start here. <laughs> wow, I've never had such a such an issue getting going, but high stress and anxiety. Exactly. My God. I, it's like you know, you you get comfortable with doing certain amounts of audio visual stuff, and then the second anything goes just a little bit sideways, you're like Okay, I have no idea what's going on here, but yeah. thanks for uh, bearing with me on that. Um, so what's going on? How are you doing? How's the summer so far? Summer so far is good. Um, had a very long vacation through Europe. Oh, that's right. Amazing food fest for uh, a little over two weeks, um, which was two phenomenal. Weeks. Yeah, London, Italy, France, Spain. Wow. So how so you landed where and how did you get around? We landed in London. Okay. Um, just to break up the trip to to Italy. Um, got there early in the morning. Kind of slept on the plane. Um, had my list of places I had to go to. Um, Burroughs Market. Um, uh, uh, I think it's Eat Cooks Meat Pies, uh, Fish and Chips. Um, I had okay. to go to Hawksmoor for a sticky toffee pudding. Oh, God. Um, so I had it all laid out, got, got on my little underground app and found out all the tubes and subways to take to get from here and there. A uh, couple of minor boo-boos here and there. I went the wrong way a couple of times, but That's part of it. Uh, long day, lots of eating, uh, great city. Uh, and then we went to uh, Italy after that. So this was just... Was this meant to be an eating sort of like field trip adventure or was this like, was there another purpose? Well, we'll just kind of. Just have fun. Very well needed vacation. Um, hadn't really had one since uh, 2019, I think, before yeah. before that wild thing wow. happened in the world. Wow. So you haven't traveled since then. So yeah. That yeah. Was- so it was kind of wild. Did some in California traveling and. 
um, but not, not much traveling at all. So it was great. It was great. That's nice. So you guys were there for two weeks and you guys saw you were in Spain, which is of the cities that you've listed and the countries you've listed. That yeah. is hands down my favorite spot. Where, where did you, do you remember any places that you were, you were in Barcelona, right? Yeah, we were in Barcelona. Um, went to El Nacional. Um, it's okay, kind yeah. of like a food hall. Yep, yep. Um, but, uh, you know, all different kind of uh, high-end, uh, no quick service, but high-end, quick tapas, uh, good drinks, cava sangria, um, which was oh, amazing. Yeah. But I don't, I, we didn't eat the same food twice in that time period. And I don't think I ate anything outside of maybe London, the fish pie, I mean, the fish and chips and meat pie I hadn't really ever had before. Oh, wow. wow. Oh. Yeah. Sweet, you've never had the meat pie. Oh, you mean everything else you had never had before? Right, right. Oh, wow. Tried new stuff. Um, there's like a, you know, something similar to a sea bass that we have, you know, out this way. It's a sea bream. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a whole whole fish, you know, served like Branzini style. Mm -hmm. um, had that. That was amazing. Spiny lobster. Oh. Um, these humongous prawns that were like the size of a lobster. Oh, that's They're good. huge. Yeah. Uh, but the food there is just, you can't, it's hard to explain to people when you come back how different the same food is. Yeah. Um, you know, we were at a, we were at a um, small local owned uh, Italian restaurant in Portofino, Italy, uh, owned by two brothers. And there was this special and I had never heard of even the pasta before. Um, I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you what it's called now because long Italian name with this basil sauce, thinking oh. that it was like pesto, right? Our, our, our version of pesto. So I asked him how it was prepared. And he started off by telling me, you know, that the chef, you know, takes the basil and destems it. I'm like, what? Like right then and there, like when he's making the sauce, he goes, yeah. As if it was like a crazy question. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. Mean, the freshness open? of the vegetables and the seafood and the pasta, and it's just, it's just hard to explain how different it is there. Yeah, you have to experience it. There's no, there's no way to explain. It. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of. That's so why I grew up Italian, but my my background cooking is in traditional Spanish techniques. So uh, it's very simple, right? So it's prioritized quality of ingredients, which there is no heavy, you know, seasoning. There's not like a whole lot of spice. There's really just very nuanced sort of flavor because they want the ingredient to stand out, which is something that I respect the hell out of. I think is really the essence of like being a real chef, can you make that ingredient really stand out on its own? So yeah, I, I'm i a huge, huge fan of that. Yeah, food. I mean, you but, nailed it. Like in in Spain, I had um, sardine and it's nothing like the sardines no, no, here. No. Um, the sardine was about the size of a piece of fish. It was the whole sardine that you mm -hmm. would get like on a fish taco. Like it was yeah, huge. Yeah. And it basically was just simply smoked. And then it had this kind of tomato concasse, a little bit of sweet to it, like mm -hmm. just on the very tip of it, just to balance out the flavor of the saltiness of the sardine and the smokiness so, with this yeah. little bit of sweet on a, on a Cristini. And oh, it yeah. was amazing. We, we had gone up to um, San Sebastian, which is up on the Northern part. Yeah. And it butts up against um, France over there. Um, and I could not believe like just every 
single place, one right after the other, right after the other, after the other. And it was such a beautiful city and the food complemented everything so well. I'm like, I don't even want to look for another place to go. I want to go back there. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's just that great. So yeah, you can't, you can't tell somebody you start to sound like pretentious, right? But you really do have to go there. I can't tell oh, yeah. you, I can't show you, you have to go there to experience it. So yeah, yeah, that's, that was, I was definitely jealous when I saw And too, like there. traveling through Europe is a lot like traveling through the U.S. You know, the most popular destinations are, are sometimes, you know, a little bit of a disappointment. Mm. Oh yeah. You know, sure. Positano, Amalfi Coast, beautiful setting, but it was disappointing. It was crowded, mm. uh, overwhelming, uh, very touristy. You know, but there's other places like Portofino where there wasn't a whole lot of tourists, very quaint, not crowded. The only way to get there is by boat and by train. Um, That's great. Great restaurants, great wine bars. And the, the wine is sustainable. Like there's no sulfites. It's all organic and it's just, it's delicious. Oh, it's yeah. no headache, no hangover. It's oh wonderful. my God. Yeah. Sounds pretty close to heaven. That's for sure. But yeah, I, I, um, I had backpacked there right after college. Backpack Europe did the whole thing, did the whole, you know, what you're supposed to do when you're 21, backpacking Europe. But yep. then we went back there for our honeymoon for just over two weeks. And yeah, I would uh, I would go back in a heartbeat. There, you know, there's some restaurants here in New York that do a great job. Like, actually, I was like telling my wife before we went, I was like, man, the food in Spain better be as good as it is at Bocaria because Bocaria nails it. And even when it comes yeah. back, it's, it is really, really good, but it's still just like not, yeah. you know. Yeah, Bocaria is delicious. I mean, I mean, if you wait, uh, you know, 45 minutes for a paella, you know, cause yeah. it's made, it's made to order. Yeah. Um, it should be delicious and, and it is delicious and they have great desserts too, Bocaria. Oh yeah. And you uh -huh. know, they, they, they actually give you that kind of experience where they don't, they don't rush you, you know, like in Spain, it could be like a little bit frustrating. Like, okay, we're ready to go. But they're like, what are you doing? You know, they don't, they, they find it rude to give you the check too soon. Yeah. 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 Do they still serve the churro with the uh, different sauces, like the oh, smorgasbord yeah. of sauces? Yeah. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I know. I, I just, I, I'm, we're just, Wednesday, my wife and I usually go out. So we were thinking, like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? And now I got Bokery on the mind. So see if we can make that. See if I can sell that one tonight. Man, I'm in my fabric. Just go to Bokery with you guys. <laughs> well, you got to get back to work, man, right? You've been on vacation. What's yeah, going on? yeah. What's going yeah. on? How's that? That's a struggle too, getting back to work, getting back to the grind, yeah. right? You're like on that European lifestyle. You're like, aren't we going to have some tapas now? It's three o'clock. Yeah. What's going on? Um, so so let let's let's get into the, let's get into the business. What, what everyone's here to to talk about or listen to is, uh, I mean, just such a tremendous background. And I was checking out your website, uh, Solomon 2.0, inspiring the next generation of hospitality leaders. Yeah, uh, I love that the leaders phrase what what's the story behind that and how did how did you get started with this you know um i have pretty i got lucky when i was young um maybe not lucky but you know definitely worked hard and i ended up you know being at the right places at the right time um you know i got my first you know dip into like real leadership at the hard rock cafe in the in the mid 80s you know and i started with them when there was just uh three hard rocks in the u.s wow um, and I ended up opening up, um, seven hard rocks over the next seven and a half years. Um, so got to track years with this, pardon me. What years was it? Was it this cover? 85 to 92. Yeah. That's the thereabouts. Yeah. Wow. You know, and I was also able to, at the hard rock transition, you know, from the kitchen, 
uh, into the front of the house. Um, so that, that was good for the career as well to have, you know, very strong background, educational background and the culinary space and, you know, the school of hard knocks and the, you know, in the front of the house space. Well, I mean, particularly with a brand like that, I mean, it, the Hard Rock, as they were opening up and it started to become a thing, I remember thinking, like, man, people used to wear those shirts. It would be like, oh, Hard yeah. Rock Tokyo, Hard Rock Chicago, Hard Rock. Yep. And I just remember being like, we have to go. We have to go to these places. I need that T-shirt. I need that. It became the brand. I didn't even know anything about it, really. I just knew that everyone had these T-shirts and they were talking about it. I mean, so to have that opportunity at a, had such a legendary concept is irreplaceable yeah and those those were collector items right you know yet you know people found themselves even traveling to a particular city just to go as one of their stops to get that t-shirt oh yeah but um you know did you know learn the construction side of it learn the real estate side of it um obviously the opening and the operations part of it the training i ended up you know when i went to a new city um you know, I'd get there about two or three months, usually around two months beforehand, and I would take Polaroid pictures of the construction mm. site and quickly before the deadline, you know, got them into a FedEx box, oh, you wow. know, and mail them to the to the owner, Peter Morton, and, uh, you know, he would give me direction, you know, the next day on what to tell them and, you know, manage this part of it. And, you know, used to walk around town and shut down the bootlegger hard rock t-shirt you know, people that were selling yeah. on the beach and shut them down, like, you know, find, you know, proprietary items that we were looking for in whatever city that we were in, hire the staff, you know, get them trained, do an opening, stay for six months or so, make sure things were solid. And then they would move me to like the next city, you know, wow. that was opening a hard rock. So did a ton of traveling, you know, Chicago to LA to Honolulu to New Orleans Sydney, Australia. Wow, um, that's amazing. Aspen, Maui, La Jolla, where I live now. Um, so yeah, it, it was great. And then I, um, you know, worked for um, actually a huge company that had a very small division called Boogie's Diner of Aspen. Mm -hmm. You know, and they had one store in Chicago opening up a second store in Vegas, which is where I joined them, and you know, ended up taking this little, you know, half retail half 50 style diner concept that were mostly in very prominent shopping centers, you know, from around, you know, I think we did about 14 million a year, you know, with the two stores to about 85 million uh, in five years and opened up in the mall of America in New York on Lexington, Washington, DC, and in a bunch of places. So, um, you know, that was really good experience to, you know, actually be a VP of operations and do that. So that, um, how did you identify that? So you left the Hard Rock, and how did you come across this? I mean, I'm not familiar with the brand, but it sounds like they had not too many units, and now you were going to try to to grow them. But how did you even identify them as being a place to? Yeah, so the, the Boogie's Diner was part of a of a much larger company called Merrygoround Enterprises. It had a bunch of retail brands. Um, they're all old now because this was in the early '90s, but. You know, Chess King, uh, DJs, um, and um, when they were researching, you know, locations in Las Vegas, and I was at the Hard Rock in Las Vegas, they'd visit all the time. And these are their, the president of the company, vice presidents, and, you know, they kind of just sought me out. Um, 
I guess I was headhunted, I guess, by right. them it specifically. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to stay with the hard rock. I wanted to grow with them. We were just embarking upon the hotels. Um, and you mentioned, you know, this leadership thing and, you know, one of my first leadership lessons, I was on the receiving end of it, but not the yeah. giving end of it, but I wanted to grow with the company. I wanted to get involved in the hotel and do other things and continue my path with the hard rock. And at that time, my regional manager said, Hey, you know, you're, this is the busiest restaurant we have. It's a $20 million, you know, plus restaurant a year. Um, and nobody else can do it, but you, and this is where you're staying for the rest of your life at the hard rock. All right, then. So, um, <laughs> in order to get what I wanted, I, I kind of had to move on. Yeah. Right. You know, which was hard to understand for me oh. at that age and at that time in my career, because, you know, the last three locations I was at, I was, a, you know, the training GM and I probably trained about 30 people and, you know, three or four years at the Hard Rock. I mean, there's out of all yeah. those people, like there's not one. I mean, yeah. Give me a break. Wow. So, I mean, that did that sour you on the experience at all or, or how did you leave? No, Um I mean, it, it soured me on that particular person right? Um, and his leadership style, mm. you know, allowed me to, you know, dig in deep. You know, a lot of things that you learn or that people learn at the School of Hard Knocks is not necessarily how to do things, but how not to do things. Right. Um, That's a great so point. how I was treated and how I felt definitely went into the, the memory banks, uh, not to make others that I came across feel that way. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, you know, obviously I did a lot of leadership thing just out of not really being educated on it, just kind of who I was. And I found the things that were successful in my leadership style and I repeated them and I learned from my mistakes. Um, but there were no, um, outside of, you know, maybe Dale Carnegie and maybe the I don't know if the one minute manager was even written back then by Ken oh, Blanchard, but there was very few books, very few speakers, very few ways, you know, in the nineties, late eighties, early nineties to, to learn about, you know, what were the characteristics of a great leader and how to become a great leader. Right. So, um, yeah, I learned by making a lot of mistakes and recording and logging those mistakes. Wow. That's smart. I mean, I think that's, to me, I've always said that I've always learned. I mean, you hear people say it all the time, but for me, it's 100% true. You learn by doing and doing it wrong. So, okay, I don't want to do that again. Definitely. Wrong. Yeah. But I think at that time, it wasn't, you know, now we have social media and podcasts and all this stuff where people are giving out their advice. Back then, you know, restaurant industry, people weren't so, well, hey, it's like, what are you doing? You should be focused on the business. There's no media or anything that you, you were going to get involved in unless somebody reached out to you. But in general, I think you needed to find a mentor, somebody that right. would share that experience with you, or you made these mistakes on yourself. So these these sort of industries that you went through, is this really where the basis of, of uh, Solomon Leaders began? Yeah. You know, I eventually found some really good mentors. Um, I was one of the directors of training for the Cheesecake Factory mm. during their heavy growth years. And their leadership at that company was unlike... I had ever seen before. I thought that, you know, the hard rock had good leadership, but they basically trusted their people. Mm. Um, and not, not really, you got some life lessons in there, but not really like this 
continual process of learning to get better. You know, young company growing fast at the Hard Rock, they trusted the people that were in those positions and, you know, kind of let them fly. So I excelled and some people honestly like imploded. They had too much rope. But um, at the the Cheesecake Factory, you know, I had uh, great, great people like Mike Vakarovich, uh, Dan Simons, who now runs um, Founding Farmers out of D.C., uh, great human beings, great leaders, um, long conversations, um, you know, used real life examples, you know, really learned a lot, you know, um, as it was expected to teach what I had learned um, in that in that training role. Um, and that, that was great. Um a great time and a great learning experience. And I, and I, you know, used a lot of what I learned, um, and rolled into, you know, what I do now. So when you're, when you're creating these sort of like advisory, you know, relationships with clients and stuff, and you're talking about, like you mentioned, Cheesecake Factory, their, their growth, um, is there a different leadership approach with, you know, let's say a fast, casual, versus a fine dining um, or, or, or quick service. Do you find that the leadership style is the same or do you have to custom tailor based on the concept? Yeah, I think, you know, now especially, um, you definitely have to custom and tailor that to that client. You know, you know, things are very, things really haven't changed that much as long as I've been in the business. Like if you really, if you were a waiter, right, and you were working in, today's kind of, you know, restaurants that's, you know, say, you know, um, I don't know, a TGI Fridays Mm -hmm. and you wanted, you wanted a pay increase. Um, and you didn't want to wait for the government to give you one. Mm -hmm. Right. So what you did is you went and applied at more upscale restaurants that had a higher ticket average, thus a higher tip percentage. Right. You know, and you would, you would elevate yourself, promote yourself by moving on to, you know, a place that provided more opportunity for a higher income, you know, and management is, is not much different, you know, so the quick serve management, you know, oftentimes came from within, you know, not that a fine dining manager didn't come from within either, but more than likely, you know, that upper scale, finer dining environment is looking for talent elsewhere to help elevate them. And then both parties get elevated at the same time. So there's definitely different tactics and different strategies. It's not, not a one, one program fits all. And that's actually what I love about it is, you know, um, used to be driven to work for the best or work for the one that had the most money Mm -hmm. or work for the biggest name. Um, now, now that I'm, older or more seasoned, more gray hairs that are still left in my skull. Seasoned is the best. best Yeah. Yeah. Seasoned, you know, it's kind of not like that. You know, it's kind of like, who do I have a, not a relationship with, but who do I have a quality relationship with, Mm. you know, which is another whole other topic of conversation is everyone talks in the leadership space about, it's all about building relationships, you know, which is true. It is about building, but they, I think they missed the word of quality relationships. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, yeah, you can definitely build some relationships that you don't want. Yeah. And <laughs> you don't really know sometimes what your relationship 
is with yeah. somebody until it is tested, right? So, you know, finding a company or a group of people to work with where, you know, it has the potential to have a quality relationship and we already kind of are on the same playing field. They're already playing in the same sandbox. You know, the people that want to grow. You know, I had, I had somebody that I was talking to, you know, before I left on vacation and said, yeah, I really want to do your, your management training course. And I, I really want to have some, you know, off top, off, offline conversations on who you think I should keep and who you think I should get rid of. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is, you know, already in the wrong direction and yeah. hadn't started yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, so people do, you know, they'll invest in leadership training for their team and for their managers. But you got to, I have to dig in deep to see are they, you know, what's, are they authentic and are they genuine? Are they sincere about really wanting to do that? Sticking with someone who's of a great human and of great spirit and of great drive that may not just have the skills or didn't have the upbringing from, you know, the parental guidance to teach them, you know, proper ways of saying things or, you know, you know, those, those types of things are, are really got to dig in deep, but I'm all about more quality than, than quantity for sure. So when you're approaching these, you know, like you said, everybody's different. Nothing is custom tailored. Are there like, there's gotta be some key areas that you start by focusing on, right? That can kind of try to figure out what's going on there. What are some of those key areas that you would you know, look for or attempt to bring out of somebody if you're trying to make them the leader of, of a successful restaurant? Yeah, typically it's a, it's a pretty standard answer, but it's, it's them getting away themselves. You know, yeah. it's, it's that, you know, and I'll even throw confidence, you know, in there. You know, a lot of people, I think just by the way that we're built, um, are when they get rejected or things don't go their way, some people just quit right away. That I'm yeah. not doing that again, right? Or they give it a second try and it doesn't work out again. You know, they don't have this. This is what I love about salespeople because salespeople can have like, can talk to a hundred people and get 99 rejections and they're up again the next day, yeah. right? Short doing it all right. over again. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and you know the great ones, the great salespeople are few and far between. Yeah. You know, but you got to kind of get over those, those, your own obstacles and get it, get out of, get out of your own way and keep on, you know, plugging away at it. And, you know, if things don't work out, you know, look yourself in the mirror and why didn't they work out? What could I have done differently? Yeah. How do I, how do I approach this next time? Cause obviously, you know, this approach didn't work. Yeah. Um, so how, how all that happens is, is, you know, is that continual conversation and, you know, what we do is, you know, at least in the management world, like our our program is we have a 12 a week program and each week we teach, you know, something different um, to the whole group. So for training, you know, three managers at once or six managers at once or 10 managers at once, they all get the same mm-hmm. kind of classroom kind of setting um, over the same topic. And then we meet with each one of them individually another time at, during that week to talk about their experiences or their obstacles on that topic. Mm. So the 
district manager will hear the same thing as a GM, will hear the same thing as the manager that just was promoted from being a server, yeah. get the same information, but that conversation is kind of where the magic happens, you know, on helping them individually maneuver through those obstacles and become better at conversation, you know, discipline, training, confidence, whatever that might be. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, consistency, right? Like particularly across the different levels of leadership in a restaurant. Like I know for for our restaurant, my partners, it was, we always struggled to be on the same page. And then yeah. what happened with just like with kids, if they realize that mommy and daddy aren't getting along, they're going to leverage one relationship to their advantage over the other and vice versa. Like, so they were constantly, oh no, he said that we could do this and you told us that we can do that. So I did what he said. Right. It was like, we were, we could never get on that same page. Do you find that lack of consistency is also a challenge with these rest with these, from you know, expanding restaurant groups? Yeah. And, you know, I'll throw a dart right at the bullseye and say it's leadership. Yeah. You know, people, this is the great thing. And we can, you know, I, I talk to people all the time about the definition of hospitality and the definition of leadership and people, you know, like we've all heard this, you know, there's this saying, this is like nothing new to anybody, but leadership is not your title. Right. But the leader thinks that it is. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, leadership is, you know, the will and capacity to inspire others. Yeah. You know, you got to want to be a leader. You got to, you got to want to have the communication skills, you know, that are going to inspire others and you got to have the capacity to do it. So it's not really a part-time job. No. Right. You're going to live it. Right. Cause they'll, they'll look at your example in and out of the restaurant. Yeah. And you look at great, great coaches in, in the athletic world. Yeah. Right. Most of their athletes, their student athletes, or if it's in college, will say, taught me so many life skills. Mm-hmm. It was no longer about basketball, like John Wood, no longer about basketball and all right. those titles at UCLA. It was about, he made people better people, you know, and he yeah. taught them, you know, life lessons to carry them on through life. And that leadership space in the restaurant, in the hospitality world is no different. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's actually part of it like that, that we started to realize where, you know, we were, it was hard when we were working in the business and on the business and we're growing. So we're working side by side, but so you have to have that kind of camaraderie and we're kind of like, you know, joke a little bit, a little bit, how's your family, that kind of thing. But then you had to sometimes be like, Hey, why, you know, why are you late? Like, what the hell are you doing? You're always late. And, and that balance was always a struggle. And then we would try to promote people up to sort of be a buffer like okay you're going to be the sous chef here we're opening up another location need you to kind of fill my shoes right the challenge was like how do we once we figured out the leadership style was injecting them with that leadership style leaving right. one that we had just built up how can how can any restaurant owner who's listening to this best set themselves up for success like that by, by injecting that leadership style to their staff yeah well if that if that leader that ceo will call him her you know, or that district manager does not, you know, knows the numbers, knows the expectations, you know, knows the the system of operations and the procedures, knows all that stuff, but just doesn't have the character, right, or the will capacity to inspire others. Find somebody who will be the voice. Yeah. 
you know, find someone that you can you can team up with, collaborate, have that person be the voice to inspire others, you know, get them excited, give them absolutely no reason in the world to do it any other way but the way that they were trained to do. Yeah. Right? And have them want to do it that way because they're inspired by this leader to do it that way, not because that they were told, you know, or that it was in a manual or it was on a checklist. Yeah. You know, um, so be, that's because yeah, yeah, they can pick up on it, right? They're going to pick up on it if this is if you're being genuine about it, if you're truly like that person. Right, they can be picked up if it's if it's not if you're not I've, at least in my experience they can tell if you're kind of just giving them a line right reading a leadership line offer towing a line that you never have before I feel like that's that's a big part of it is your consistency and your ability to remain that way for for forever <laughs> for as long as you run yeah. the business and I'm sure you've heard these snippets of Anthony Bourdain you know who talks about it because like, his pet peeve were people that were late yeah. But in the entire interview, if you listen to the entire interview where he actually said that, you know, he said, I worked with people that were on time because I knew that they were inspired by my words. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. key. It's key. Um, so find, finding those people and identifying those people, they're everywhere. I always say that, you know, most companies, if not all companies, already have that individual working for them. You know, and it's that it's that person that goes out and shakes hands and gets to know people and, you know, gets into the trenches a little bit and finds out more about their people, which is a great leadership characteristic as well. Finds those people, you know, and promote them and mentor them and and bring them on to the to the big table, you know, and and collaborate with them and hear what they have to say and actually you know, listen with your ears and not by nodding your head, you know, but actually listen to what they have to say and, and digest those words and do and spit them back out in a way that makes everybody better. Um, yeah. And it's difficult, you know, it's, it's difficult, but I think it truly takes that one-on-one -on -one conversation. They're not going to get it necessarily. They'll get bits and pieces from a podcast and they'll get, mm -hmm. you know, something from a book and they'll get something from a videotape. But it's that one-on-one, -on -one, in the grind, hard work conversation. Yeah, that where the magic happens. It's, that's why the restaurant business, and I'm assuming every other business, but the only business that I'm really familiar with running, um, it's like an athletic sport. You know, you motivating. They could listen to this podcast or any other podcast, or even work with you and leave feeling inspired. I'm going to do this, but the discipline to be that way every single day is i think the challenge because even yeah. as a leader you get worn down right it feels good enough oh, yeah. to be a leader for a couple you know i'm gonna take a break i just need to clear my head and go for a walk or need to just not answer some questions or, or yeah. any kind of feedback i think that's a big key too is are you disciplined enough to to show up like this every day because that's what the team needs yeah i mean there's when you're when i was younger it was the physical grind you know, it was the 12 hour days and it was oh, yeah. the lifting and the caring, you know, now it's the, you know, need the, need the mental break. I mean, your oh, brain yeah. doesn't shut off and you, you're constantly hearing what people are saying and, and really digesting what, what they're telling you to, to, 
dig deep into I dig deep into my own memory banks, you know, what I've logged in my head, what experiences I can share, you know, to help them. You know, and you got to do it quickly. Yeah. Um, you, you can't say to somebody, at least in my world, that's really good thought. Like, I'll get back to you on that. One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let me yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. That's yeah, they they're coming to you. They want to they want to know how that's the thing. Is it actionable? Can I can I put this to use right now? That is, you know, I think that's what you know, restaurant owners can also struggle. You know, like I, I deal with mainly these three to five unit uh, restaurant groups, you know, these emerging brands. So their hands are still in the business, right? They're not quite to the point where they can add that extra layer and kind of fully step out and do what they have to do. And after the last couple of years, it's been challenging, you know, staffing issues, new technology, food costs, you know, supply chain. What are some common challenges that you're running into every day with some of these emerging restaurant groups? You know, I think we we touched on it briefly is just um, getting getting tired. Yeah. You know, just getting uh, the constant, you know, beat down. Uh, and usually, you know, everyone's got to recognize at some point you can't lose the philosophy of celebrating successes. Mm. You know, no matter how hard it is, staff not showing up, you know, um, guests griping about an increase in, in menu prices and you explain away, you know, no matter what it is, the constant repetition of dealing with, you know, that part of the grind, there are successes, right? you know, and seeking out those successes and celebrating those successes um, is critical. Yeah. Is critical. And I think that, you know, in relation to that, the, the world, our economy, the nation, you know, all the different laws and policies, procedures that have happened in our industry, you know, have made it even more challenging, which makes us a better person, like to overcome it. Mm. You know, you mentioned before how important, you know, camaraderie was, you know, and, you know, you love those experiences in the restaurant where there was this great camaraderie. Mm -hmm. Well, to this day, the most the most rewarding experience I've ever had in the, in the restaurant space is family meal, oh. you know, before or after shift, Yep. you know, but when minimum wage increased, you know, all of a sudden, no matter what kind of restaurant you're in, fine dining or, or casual, getting everybody there at the same time went away. Yeah. You know, people came in at staggered times to reduce yeah. labor costs and, Staff didn't stay on to the end, you know, where you'd have a family meal, you know, and then you went to cleaning, yeah. you know, and, and so, you know, this camaraderie thing, you know, became a challenge, yeah. you know, for, for businesses. So it's all a challenge, but it all makes us better people to find, you know, to find other ways. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the, one of the big takeaways from the last couple of years, or, you know, I guess there's always going to be a takeaway was, is your ability to adapt to the situations that are happening around you, you know, like this just happened, but it wasn't really your control, right? We got to wear masks. We got to wear gloves. You know, you got to be able to take online orders. You got to be able to package your food to go, you know, you got to figure out the staffing model. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about making money, right? You signed on, you know, that's what I always go back to is like, Hey, I, I'm, I'm on the hook here on this lease for the next eight and a half years. I got to yeah, figure this out. Yeah. There is a new, um, a new Chinese restaurant that opened up in our neighborhood. Mm. They took over an, um, a former Chinese restaurant and they remodeled it. You know, they did a really 
it looks really nice, except that you can't dine in just yet. Mm. So they're only open for takeout. And we didn't know that. So we went in. They told us it was just takeout only. But we could eat at their tables, if we. but it was going to be packaged like for takeout. We said, no problem. So we ordered. And there was, I think, two cooks, an expediter, and a, and a cashier. Mm. That cashier was you know, confirming third-party deliveries. That that oh. iPad is just beeping away. The phone is ringing. Oh, Food man. is ready. Guests are coming in to pick up their order. She's managing all these names and all these platforms and all these people. And with a smile on her face. God. And I'm thinking, man, either she's new <laughs> and she hasn't experienced anything else but yeah. that, which I think is great for a solution, yeah. right? right? Just hire people that don't know the way it used to be. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They never used to be this crazy. They're like, oh, they just thought this was, yeah, for sure. Or she's got a boss who's a great leader. You know, yeah. so I said, God, I'm really impressed with you. You're always smiling. And I go, it was chaotic and hectic. He goes, yeah, all I'm asked to do is to do my best. Yeah, right. And I'm going to do my best and I should feel good about it. Yeah. Not bad about it. Right. And it was a really, it's a good point, right? Phenomenal point. You know, I think about, you know, because, yeah, I mean, what, but in a lot of those situations, particularly the one that you're describing, it is, it is just chaos, right? Like you're doing the best you can to get everybody their food, people sitting here, people coming from one pickup thing versus somebody who came and walked in the door. God, that gives me just anxiety thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's crazy. I mean, I, I lived through it. With, we had a small pickup taqueria and it was, it was mayhem. Yeah. That, but yeah, they need to hear that. You yeah. did a good job in the face of all the shit that was coming at you. We got the food out. People, nobody left upset. Nobody, nobody called, right? Nobody called, nobody called to complain. So, but I think that's what somebody told me early on was like, your restaurant's not going to be defined by how perfect you are. It's going to be defined by how you mitigate those little situations. Nothing, no yep. one expects perfection, but they do expect you to give a shit and they expect you to resolve issues if they do come up. I think that's a lot of the stress that restaurant owners have. And a lot of these, particularly expanding groups is right you know if i leave it's not going to be the same right you know? and that, that's that's i think like we've been talking about here there's definitely a leadership issue yeah i mean when i was at the hard rock i learned this years later i, I went to a reunion maybe i don't know seven eight nine ten years ago and we were all sitting family meal you know big table probably 25 people that were part of like the original hard rock teams when there was, you know, five, six restaurants. And I said, and my, my, my VP of operations was there. And, uh, I said, yeah, you know, somebody asked me like how I got the opportunity to like move around and do all these openings. And I said, because I was a cheap move I had a bed, a TV and a boom box <laughs> and I was single, you know, so I was and easy to move. Yeah. And my, the VP of operations, Jim Reese, looked at me and says, God, you are so wrong. And I go, I thought this, you know, all this time. Like, that's why yeah. I had the opportunity. He goes, I go, okay, and like, enlighten me. He goes, you are one of the few people that got our culture, uh, that yeah. got what we were doing, that understood you know, our brand and understood why we did things a certain way. And not only that, you did a really good job teaching it to others. Yeah. And as we grew from three stores when I started to around 10 when I left, 
you know, we wanted that culture to be the same in every unit. And that's why we moved you. Mm, that's good. Cool. Like, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's poignant because I was, do you know, um, Donald Burns, the restaurant coach? Yeah. Yep. So I was having a back and forth with him on Instagram, uh, last night. And I said, um, cause he's a big culture guy and I'm, I'm a big culture guy too, but he, he, he preaches it constantly and he's, he's not wrong, but he's like, culture is very hard to scale at a, like a consistent pace. And I said, you know what, you're, you're right. It's easier to identify sites and sign leases than it is to have that culture translate into one restaurant to the next, let alone, you know, in your market. But what about in other States, right? In, yeah. in new markets, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I was just at the Raising Cane's open in Times Square, you know, $4 million a year in rent, huge thing, flagship store. Yeah. But they had their whole, they had their leadership team in there drilling everybody with culture while we were there. And I mean, that's, that's, you gotta do what it takes, right? I mean, that's, that's so important. Yeah. And it's very old school. Mm -hmm. I'm still a fan of it. Um, is, is shopper reports, mm -hmm. you know, part of, part of, um, our division when we were a younger company, um, you know, we did shopper reports, um, and we did them in four, we don't do reports anymore, but, um, we were in, I think 43, 44 different States had big companies, you know, a Coldstone Creamery comes to mind. Mm -hmm. You know, we started, we started some leadership development with them at their Coldstone university. And we did the shop reports for them, but those shop reports wasn't about where the, you know, was the counter clean and were the napkins full yet. Yeah, it had those questions in there, but it also had a lot of culture questions, mm. you know, how we were treated, how did we feel? You know, um, how do you feel the, the vibe inside of each Coldstone creamery, you know, how, how did the displays look, you know, were they, you know, um, were they neatly printed or did someone just take a, a piece of cardboard and write on it? You oh, know, yeah. you know, all these, all these touch points that drove that culture piece of caring and, you know, delivering the brand the right way, you know, their way, um, but I'm a big fan of getting third party opinions, you know, oh, yeah. on how, how they felt. Okay. Granted. Okay. My dish was a little salty. I mean, who cares? Salty right. for you, not salty for me. Like that, yeah. that's meaningless. Right. But how did you feel? You know, when you told me it was too salty, how did you feel after you said that? And how, what was the result for you? Yeah. You know, not so much the basic technicality. Oh, they took my plate back. I got it back in seven minutes. It tasted better. Okay, great. Yeah. But yeah, if they made you feel like shit about it. Yeah. Who cares? Right. That, yeah. That's what I've, I've said before. I, you know, my wife will always, you know, if I, this place is too expensive. We should go eat here. We're eating, but whatever. Right. We're deciding on where to eat. And I said, well, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily look at the prices on the menu in general, like regular everyday restaurants. I'm not, hemming and hawing over the prices there because I don't think that I can truly judge the value of my experience in that dish until I get the check. Because right. the way I've felt, was it easy to make a reservation? Were you hospitable when you were there? How was the service? And I think that's because you're not paying straight up just to have this meal. I can't stand when people say that. Well, I could have made this at home for $16. But you, right. know, you came in here and you wanted all of this. So you got to pay for that. So 
that value is yeah how how I, how I feel when I leave that I think is a a large percentage of how I feel about the bill when it comes. Yeah, and you mentioned Bocaria at the beginning, mm-hmm. you know, and I I haven't been there. I've been there maybe you know three or four times when I go to New York, right? And I always go back there. I could try other restaurants, but the fact of the matter is, I feel really good. Yeah. When I go there, I yep. feel really good when I when I enter in. I feel really good sitting at the at the bar and they make my charcuterie right in front of me. Yep. Um, I feel really good when the meals come that, you know, the servers pace things, they, they talk about it. They, they're specific. They ask me if I enjoyed They're they're casual, they're friendly. You know, I feel, I feel good when I leave. I feel yeah. good when I pay the bill. Yeah. I don't feel ripped off. I don't feel, no. I feel good. Yep. And those are the restaurants you go back to, right? Yeah. Cause you, cause I always think about, I want that experience. I don't get to go out that often where I'm like, I don't, I, I want to go. I want that. I don't want to risk me going someplace else. You know, I need, I need to check my sources. You know, I'm going to ask Howard. I'm going to ask everybody like, Hey, what did, have you been here? what did you think? Is it like, so yeah, that's to me, that is, that's really the essence of the restaurant. I think you nailed it. Yeah. How, how do you make really make people feel? And that's, that's I it. feel when there's good leadership, you know, at the top and throughout the ranks and at that store and in that, in that cook group and in that server group, there's people that have the will and capacity to inspire others. People will feel good about that experience. Mm. It can, yeah. it cannot not happen. Right. I agree. And I think one of the things I've learned too, is when, when you are actually a leader and you're bringing people in, you have to be very transparent with the business, which, you know, for a long time, at least when I was coming up, you know, how much was cash, how much was credit card sales, what were they showing? Yeah. Now it's, yeah. you know, you bring them into the conversation, hey, our goal this month is $100,000. You know, or this is this is why, and these are our expenses, and explaining the why. I think that helps cultivate leadership too in the accountability and, and letting everybody know that, um, you know, we're, we're not stashing a whole bunch of cash away here. This is what it looks like. And that transparency, I think, proves that you're the leader because you're very vulnerable. You're open, you're honest, oh, yeah. you're what it is. I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. And also word of advice for those people that are in that, in that world of checking their sales and checking their labor and, you know, on their phone. And, you know, I I highly encourage those people to get in the trenches, Mm. get off your phone, every, every shift you work, whether it's for a half an hour or for 10 minutes, get in the trenches, go talk to your team, go talk to tables, you know, and you will have you will hear from your team and you'll hear from the guests and you will have, you will hear, you will find successes to celebrate. Yeah. Um, and it's important because sometimes team members, when you break a record, they just don't give a shit. Yeah. Right. You know, they're not there to break a record. Right. No, they're right? they make money to feed their whatever they're. Yeah. They're and they're there to feel good too. Right. I want to feel good about my employer. I want to feel good about the place I work. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much to that too, because then they turn into recruiting. They help you recruit. Hey, he's such a great guy to work for, et cetera. All right. So we can keep going forever, but I know, unfortunately, we can't. So on a sort of in a similar tone of how what we were just talking about, what are some last lasting advice or motivational words that you might have for any restaurant owner that's struggling with, you know, they're overwhelmed, they're, they, they feel like they can't get you know, get their legs under them and run their restaurant. What are, what are some, what's something that you can leave them with to set them straight? You know, um, 
couple of things. Um, one is I had a, had a baseball coach in high school. Um, and I was transitioning from being a catcher to going into the outfield. And when you're a catcher, you're trained by instinct that when you hear, you know, the crack of the bat, the ball hitting the bat, you flip your mask off and you take three or four steps forward and you find the ball. In the outfield, it's different. When you hear the ball hit the back, you take three or four steps backwards, find the ball and then go for the, and then go where the ball is. I had a really hard time transitioning <laughs> the steps I take. Same, by the way. I was a catcher and a right fielder. I, I take yeah. back, right? Very difficult to do both both positions. Yeah. But, you know, learning to hear the ball hit the bat, take steps backwards, find the ball, strategize how to catch that ball. Just don't be a catcher and run forward thinking that you're going to go get the ball. Oh, that's great advice. Right. Um, the second is, is for God's sakes, breathe. Mm. You know, Take a breath. Um, you know, even if it's in the middle of the day and you're, you're, you're in your office, shut the blinds, close the door, you know, raise your hands over your head, take a deep breath, stretch yeah. three times, just clear, clear your space. Yeah. If you're in the restaurant, go in the cooler. Yeah. You know, take a nice long stretch, you know, take three deep breaths, nothing is that urgent right um and just slow the pace um and you'll find that when your head is clear you move a you move a little bit slower you think with intention um on what's the best result the best approach um even if you're not ready to react right away say hey just hold on a second let me let me digest this you know, before I just yeah. come up with this immediate answer, just slow, slow the F down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, our world has moved at an incredible pace. Um, and most of us, you know, having them caught up either in business or at our home. Right. Right. And it might feel normal. We might think this is the new normal, but we're still, things are still happening at an incredible pace. Um, and we have to find ways to adjust it or slow the pace down. Yeah. That's great advice. I mean, cause so many times restaurant owners can be, I'm so busy. 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 But you could be just busy rowing that boat in the wrong direction. Oh yeah. Or rowing it again to the wall. You know, yep. you're just, yeah, I think that's great advice. I, I, I would have number one, I'm big on metaphors so when you connect the sports to the to to uh restaurant ownership that absolutely makes sense because i think being reactionary is very stressful right being patient and taking your time um i think lowers the stress a little bit and allows things to come to you and let you sit on them and react i think that is advice that a 26 year old restaurant owner kyle would have uh greatly appreciated for sure yeah um, and for more 26-year-old pals that are listening, you know, it's important. I mean, you'll, you'll admit that you didn't do this and I didn't do it either, is to take care of yourself. Mm, right. You know, that, that it's not just about going to the gym, you know, at 26. It's, it's the mental health part. It's the, it's the you know, and now that with cell phones, it's, it's turning it off, yeah. you know, and allowing yourself to, you know, in, absolutely enjoy a round of golf if, if that's what you do. 
you know, for three hours. If that's too long, go take yoga. Yeah. You know, do something that's going to enhance your life and take care of yourself. Yeah. Because I can tell you from, you know, out of college till probably most recently, you know, I didn't do that. Yeah, right. You know, um, picked up yoga too late in life. I should have done it earlier. You know, I'm just now, um, you know, at 61, taking a day to play golf with my dad, you Mm -hmm. know, three hours a week. You know, those things are now, you know, they're non-negotiables for me. Yeah. You know, I'm not negotiating my time to play golf with my dad. I'm not doing that. Right. You know, so um, finding those things that, those mental health things for you personally that are non, that you make a non-negotiable, then do that even if you're in your early 20s. That's great. Yeah. Because you feel that's when you feel you can do it all. And then the reality is that's really where you're going to do the most harm if you're not really oh, yeah. paying attention. Um, all right. Before we go, um, where can people find you? Uh, online. Uh, um, website is probably the best best one, solomonleaders.com. Solomon is all O's, like the king. Uh, Instagram <laughs> as well, at Solomon Leaders, um, are probably the two easiest and fastest ways to uh, get a hold of me. Clubhouse on Wednesdays and Fridays, right? Clubhouse on Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> and you have any speaking engagements coming up? Um, I'm going to be doing the California restaurant show in August. Okay. Um, and after that, I have a couple in the pipeline. Nice. All right. Well, whatever you have, we're going to link this all in the show notes. Um, guys, I hope you really paid attention to that last part, man. That really resonated with me because I – I definitely didn't do it. Definitely didn't take care of myself. And uh, I know a lot of you guys are in that same situation. So now you know how to get hold of Howard. And Howard, I just want to thank you for taking the time, setting this up. Uh, I'm glad you were well-rested after this trip to (laughs) to have this lengthy restaurant leadership conversation. So uh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate your time, and I appreciate the platform.